Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hi, this is Joe Castellano from thesportsvirus.com. Welcome to the Inside China Basin San Francisco Giants baseball podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, featuring our regular guest, two-time World Series champion, former Giants reliever, George Contos. Gabe Kapler is not Bruce Bochy, so he's going to run things his way. And I'm sure with Farhan, they've had their discussions on what the best course of action is for the ball club. Inside China Basin is brought to you by Keynes Tire in San Rafael, the lowest prices in Marin County for over 60 years. Good morning, George, and uh, great job in the studio. Uh, how much are you enjoying working in the studio and you know getting to do uh, a couple of series in a row there with NBC Sports Bay Area? Hey, Joe, good morning. I'm loving it. Thank you. It's, uh, it's a lot of fun. I'm learning a ton. I'm having a great time. Uh, I, I think now that it's, it's my second time coming out here and doing some games, I feel a lot more comfortable, and I think my personality is starting to come out a lot more. And uh, just being, being more myself on camera as opposed to stiff and, and trying to be perfect, like I think I was a little bit in my first series, I think I'm just a lot more letting the guard down and having more of a free-flowing conversation on air now, which is, which is a lot of fun, and I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, we're learning things about you that we never knew. I mean, this whole friends thing. I had no idea that you were such a big uh, friends uh, fan of the TV show uh, where you've watched every episode. That's kind of like me with Seinfeld. So it started in college, and I, I just started watching Friends on TV because it was on. You know, they, they were on at that point, I think, like three different stations. It was T, you know, TBS, Nickelodeon, uh, WGN at night for the uh, TV stations that we have in Chicago. Um so I ended up buying all the DVDs, and I would go every year on Black Friday. Best Buy would have the Friends season DVDs for $9.99, as opposed to like $24.99 or, or $29.99 back in the day. Um, so I ended up accumulating all 10 seasons, and I put them in one of those big leather CD cases that held DVDs and, and CDs, and I would just lug it along with me throughout spring training in the seasons. And I would start at season one, and I'd watch the whole thing, and then I'd start back at season one. And it, it really, for me, is it, such a feel-good show. Whatever mood you're in, if you're killing time, if you're in a bad mood, you can throw friends on and you get a laugh. And um, it, it really just has turned into kind of my, uh, my favorite show, my kill time show, and uh, one that I really love. You know, speaking of friends, a lot of times when you see somebody famous, you kind of think of them like, hey, that's my friend. I know that guy. And quick story, because today is Reggie Jackson's birthday, Mr. October. And I was doing a high school football game in Monterey a few years back, and it was Halloween. And I went into this bar, and everybody is dressed up for Halloween except me and Mr. October. So you would think people would recognize, you know, Reggie Jackson. I, I sit next to this guy at the bar, an Australian guy. He has no idea who Reggie Jackson is. He says, who, who the bleep is Reggie Jackson? And I, I would have thought everybody around the world knew who Reggie Jackson was, you know? And it, it just like, seems like he, everybody would be going up to him that he's their best friend. No, it wasn't the case. I mean, people didn't even recognize him in this bar. But happy birthday, Reggie. <laughs> that is a funny story. I was, when I was uh... – when I was a, a, a rookie in, uh, in the New York Yankees system in 2006, they, they sat us down. And uh, to your point, who doesn't know who Reggie Jackson is? There was a kid from Australia who, who the, 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 the uh, Yankees had just signed. He was 16 or 17 years old. And they sat us all in, um, in this little classroom, and they brought in some of the greats to come talk to us. I think at the time 
you know, Yogi was still with us and Yogi came in and Reggie and, and, and a bunch of just the, the most famous Yankees of all time. And somebody goes, Mr. October, who's that? This kid, this Australian kid, I'm not going to mention his name, <laughs> but uh, Reggie was like, are you kidding me? Reggie gave him this look like, are you kidding me, man? You're sitting in a Yankee club. I like, don't know who Mr. October is. So it was pretty funny. Everyone got a good laugh out of it. <laughs> Apparently he was not big in Australia for some reason, because <laughs> that was the same uh, you know, situation I had. Uh, he turned 75 today. Happy birthday, Reggie. And happy birthday to my sister, Laura, by the way. So on to baseball and uh, some strange happenings, really, I thought, in Cincinnati uh, for the first game of the series, George. I mean, one of them was Yaz not being able to score because the plate was blocked. I thought you couldn't block the plate anymore. And the other one was the call, the uh, replay reverse call on Wilmer Flores. He's called out at second base because he lifted his spikes barely off the bag. And that's really not what replay is intended for. It makes me want to just trash the whole thing when I see calls like that. What do you think of those two plays in particular? Well, I definitely agree with you on the Flores play. I think that, you know, once you've implemented the replay system, it, it, it starts expanding into, like, to your point, what it was meant for. I think it was meant for plays at, at uh, you know, first base. It was for guys trying to steal, getting in at second base or third base, wherever it may be. Um, I, I think it's been taken a little too far, but it just comes with the territory. When you've implemented this technology now and you've made it acceptable to use it throughout the game, these little ticky-tack things are going to start happening, and guys just need to be conscious that when they slide into bag, before you either pop up or, or, or switch feet, make sure your other foot is on the bag. And it's unfortunate. Obviously, it was in the moment, and, and Wilmer obviously didn't mean to do it. It's a little ticky-tacky. And, you know, the play at home, I think he got the bag, and Yaz was coming directly down the line. And to my understanding of the, that catcher rule is you have to declare inside or outside. Uh, the way you're going to go. So I think the catcher received the ball and kind of was sitting there waiting. And, and luckily, Yaz was able to have enough body control to stop and not fall over because there could have been a knee there. There could have been something that uh, ended up not pretty for, for us uh, Giants fans watching, but it, luckily it ended up uh, all okay. Uh, and Yaz, by the way, swinging the bat a lot better. He's hitting home runs now. And, and Wilmer Flores as well, because Wilmer was kind of stuck in that in that slump, and you wondered if he even deserved as much playing time as he was getting. But those guys really answered the call on Monday. I said this on the broadcast yesterday. Sometimes all it takes is a little bit of luck and for, for a seeing-eye single or a pop-up to get misplayed. And I think in Pittsburgh that one day he had about a combined 80-mile-an-hour exit velocity between two hits. But two hits are two hits, get you on base, and it gets you rolling. And now he's starting to see the ball better. And that's all it takes for these guys, especially the veteran guys who have been around. You know, people are starting to worry a little bit about Evan Longoria. You know, all it takes is for him to square one ball up really well to the opposite field to get him back on track, to feel that good swing. So I think that uh, all the guys that, that people are worrying about are slowly going to start coming to uh, coming back to their normal um, – you know, batting averages or approaches at the plate. And I think as long as the starting pitching can continue doing what it's doing, I think we got a real contender here in the, in the San Francisco Giants. Yeah, I mean, right now, as we sit here, they're in first place. They have the best record in the National League. The one concerning part for me, George, and I, I don't know how you feel about it, is the relievers. Uh, the bullpen, it's a struggle at times, especially in Pittsburgh, where you thought you were going to win a game. You're up by four runs. And I wanted to talk to you about the reliever's mindset because you were in that bullpen for so long, and you know what it takes uh, because guys are going to struggle at times. You know, as a person who's never pitched in the major leagues, never been a reliever, 
and looking at it, you just think, why can't these guys throw strikes when they come in? Sometimes they just don't have it. But we saw that with Selman and Duvall. They come in, it looked like they were just throwing the ball rather than pitching. Uh, tell us a little bit about the reliever's mindset and, and what the Giants can do maybe to improve because it seems like you know they're having some issues there where there isn't a lot of trust in some of these relievers right now. Well, it's a very difficult situation and kind of dicey because there's kind of a clear separation on, in my mind, on who uh, Cap and and, Hol- and Bailey, uh, not Homer. I was about to say Homer, but uh, but Bailey, um, who they trust right now, and it's obviously McGee, it's Rogers. I was very shocked to see Rogers, to be honest, pitch in the ninth inning of that game. It was a three-run game. I thought it was a perfect time to get McGee back in there, as opposed to the guy who's now pitched in almost sixty percent of the first forty-one games of the season for the Giants, which to me is a little bit alarming. You're on a pace that is, in my opinion, not sustainable at this level uh, of pitching that he's doing. Um, but I think with, with the other guys, all it takes is a couple good outings. Confidence is very, very fickle with, with a reliever because you go out there so much. So when you're riding high, you can have one of those stretches like, like Berger had where you go 30 scoreless innings or 30 scoreless appearances when you're feeling really, really good and confident in your stuff. On the other side of that, as we're seeing with Camilo Doval, he got hit a couple times pretty hard, and now it looks like he's gotten a little bit of a lack of confidence in his fastball, and he doesn't locate his slider consistently enough, like a, like Matt Whistler does, for example, to be able to rely on that pitch over and over again. That's why we saw him struggle a little bit in Pittsburgh in, in the last couple outings. But that gets rectified by, by pitching in a low-leverage situation, having him go out there, let rip a couple heaters, blow it by a couple guys, get some confidence back in those pitches. And all it takes is a zero or two, and he's right back on the horse with the confidence to go back and pitch in those high-leverage situations. Um, but at some point, I mean, you have, to, you have to address the problem if you think there's a problem. And there were a lot of times in my career I can, you know, without uh, uh, embarrassment admit, I was one of the guys that I think was struggling. And they were like, okay, do we have to option him out? Do we have to back him off a little bit? Everyone goes through it. I mean, Sergio Romo, Javier Lopez, Jeremy Affelt, uh, Santiago Casilla. I can remember all those guys at some point went through a funk and went through a streak where I think the, uh, you know, Boach and Rags and, and the fans were kind of like, all right, well, you know, he struggled a little bit. But they always got back on the horse because they were professionals. They worked at it and the confidence came and got right back in their corner. Well, a couple of things there. First of all, getting back on the horse, uh, relievers having amnesia. I don't know if everybody is cut out for that mentally. I mean, it kind of dep- depends on your personality, doesn't it? That's one part of it. And the other part is, George, when you came in and you had a four-run lead, I-, I guess just the average person's thinking, why aren't you throwing fastballs right down the middle I- instead of walking people? But I-, I know you can't always control everything, but some of the walks, when you have a, a lead like that, it-, it can be disturbing to folks. It can, and, and to me, you know, I, I, I was watching the other day when Sam Selman came in the game, and I think Sam Selman has great stuff. I think he's very composed and poised on the mound, but to me it looked like he was pressing a little bit. It looked like he was trying to make perfect pitches and, and hit the exact spot as opposed to just throwing competitive pitches with conviction, and that can happen when you're a guy who's kind of up and down a little bit. When you've been, <clears throat> excuse me, when you've been bouncing back and forth from AAA and the major leagues, whenever you get your um, your your outings and your and your uh, opportunities back in the major leagues. You want to succeed. You want to pitch well so bad so you can stay. When you should just go out there and compete. And we've all fell victim to that. You know, in 2013 and 2014, when I was uh, up and down with the Giants a little bit, 
Every time I got to the big leagues, I was like, all right, I'm going to have, I'm going to have great outings every time I go out there and I'm going to force them to keep me here. And it's just not how it works. You have to go out there. You have to keep every outing an individual outing. You have to make sure you execute and you first and foremost, go out there and compete. You know, guys are up in the big leagues for a reason. It's because they've had success or they have great stuff or both. And the underlying common denominator is you just have to always go out there and compete. You know, I read this quote from Wade Davis, uh, friends with Jake McGee, and he was saying how McGee, good day, bad day, he's always in a good mood, pleasant to be around, the perfect personality in any bullpen role. You know, when you have a bad day, you come back and completely forget about it. I, I think that will bode well for him, but right now I don't know that the Giants have a lot of confidence in what's going on with him because he's had, you know, some real hiccups, and he's just throwing the fastball, at least mostly the fastball. Can you get away with that? I mean, we know it worked for Mariano Rivera having one pitch, mostly, you know, throwing that cutter, and that was it, but that's Mariano Rivera. Can this work for McGee? It absolutely can work for McGee, and if you break down McGee's numbers, he's, I mean, he has two blown saves. One of them, he came in in Pittsburgh and did a fantastic job, I thought, with punching out the side after giving up a little single um, in there in that ninth inning uh, to try and pick up Kevin Gaussman. So I, I kind of give him a little bit of a break on that one. But he's only had a couple outings, in my opinion, that turned a little bit ugly that have skewed the ERA. And his his success is going to rely on him being able to locate that fastball that has very good life. It has very good uh, induced vertical break is what they call it now with the driveline analytics people, <laughs> um, which means that he's spinning the ball so tightly that it's holding its line and not coming to the the, uh, the pull of gravity for longer so what people say is, is is when they're in the batter's box and they're facing a guy like McGee they say his fastball has kind of some rise on it that when it gets the home plate it almost is going up but what it's actually doing is it's holding its line and not dropping for longer than the average fastball and that's a real thing that's you know Sean Doolittle um, he's a guy who has a ton of induced vertical break as well and you see these guys who live just on that one pitch and I would love to see McGee throw a few more sliders to just give the fastball a little bit of a break. But when his fastball is on and he's locating it up in the zone, he's unhittable to anybody. So I think he absolutely can, as long as the location is there, pitch with that fastball. You know, that life on the fastball, I wonder how much of this is going to be determined on how he is used by Gabe Kapler. Because, I mean, if he has the proper rest, that seems like that would be – Great, but also you don't want to have too much rest. I mean, it's really, as you said, use the word dicey before. I think it's dicey in how you use a closer. Uh, the great managers just really know how to do that. They do. They absolutely do. And, and you know, when, when the Giants are playing in games like this, you, you kind of seem to have right now a two-headed monster that they've created, right? They have Tyler Rogers, who's getting some saves, and you have McGee, who is, I'd say, dubbed the closer. Um, and when you have that and you're worried about McGee, you know, who's, who's a little bit, he's not an old guy by any means, but as far as in the game of baseball, he's an older pitcher. So you definitely want to kind of watch his outings and his usage. But, you know, I think maybe in the first half you can um, protect him a little bit, maybe not let him go more than back-to-back days. In the second half, though, when, when, when this team is, is going to be hopefully making a push for the postseason and uh, trying to lock up the NL West, you're going to have to start using these guys in, in more big-time situations than, um, than just two days in a row. I remember Jonathan Pelpavon, when he was with the, with the uh, Boston Red Sox, had it negotiated in his, in his uh, contract that before the All-Star break, he would only go back-to-back days. 
after the all-star break, he would pitch in three days, four days, whatever it was. But I think it was in his contract that he could not go more than two days in a row before the all-star break. And it's just a way to help protect them and keep them fresh because what's happening now is the starters, I would love to see them not come out of the games in 80 with 86 pitches when they have gone six strong innings, no runs. The, the, the pitcher spot is not up in a five-run game like we saw yesterday. I would have loved to see Logan Webb go back out there. And I know in post game they, they talked about how he had a little bit of shoulder discomfort or, or something was bugging him, which obviously is the reason he came out. But I think in general, I'd love to see the pitchers, starting pitchers, when they're cruising, go deeper into those games because it's going to save the bullpen. It's going to allow you to not have to use Rodgers and McGee as much. And there's less ground that needs to be covered until the game ends when you have a bullpen that seems to be teeter-tottering with guys that you trust and guys that you might have a little bit of uh, of doubt whether or not they can pitch in that situation or not. Yeah, I totally agree with you there. I think the Giants have the horses to do that. And, uh, yeah, hopefully Webb doesn't have anything serious going on. He, he was terrific. I mean, he's getting a lot of ground balls. I mean, in today's era of strikeouts being featured so much, I mean, we saw Garrett Cole you know, setting a record 61 strikeouts without a walk. It was great to see a guy getting a lot of ground balls. 14 of his 18 outs yesterday didn't leave the infield. And in a ballpark like Great American, it is that is an unbelievably great feat to do. So he had great stuff. He was locating down in the zone. He was getting ahead of the count early, which was, which was incredible because it allowed him to get to that changeup and not have to come into the middle of the plate where the hitters can narrow their zone because he fell behind the count. So he did a great job. I, I like the strides he's making. You know, when, when we asked him in postgame, how his shoulder was doing. He kind of gave a little smirk, which tells me that I think he's probably fine. Um, they, they are, I would imagine that he's going to wake up today, go to the ballpark, play some catch. There's going to be no need for an MRI or anything, would be my guess, and that's the best outcome, obviously. But um, I think you definitely uh, you definitely need him. He's a guy that uh, is going to definitely help in the long run. You have Tyler Beatty, who's going to be coming back here as well soon, so we'll have some decisions to make. And if, if they put – Logan Webb, if, if he's the uh, the casualty in the rotation, I think he's going to be a big uh, solidification in the bullpen if, if that's where he ends up when Tyler Beatty comes back. Yeah, the bullpen so important. Looking forward to Beatty coming back, by the way. And uh, the closer role, by the way, to finish off this topic, uh, I, I think I found out how important it was one time in the minor leagues. We were going up to Ottawa, and one of our pitchers, our closer, Jorge Julio, who eventually made it to the major leagues, he didn't have his visa. So he could not go with us across the border. So we played a three-game series in Ottawa against the Lynx, and we lost every game where leads were blown. Every save was blown because we didn't have our closer. And you realize how important it is. Of course, on the way back, we picked up Jorge. He was in his hotel room watching cartoons for three days in a row while we're losing <laughs> games. So, But you realize that you have to have your closer. I mean, some teams don't feel that way. They think they can do it by committee. But in my opinion, it's great if you have that luxury to have that one guy that can close out games. It's, it's, it's a huge luxury, especially a guy who's done it for a while and who's been proven, um, you know, that being said, that when that guy's down, when your closer's down, you need to have other guys that you can trust to slide in there. And, and then when that happens, everyone's role shifts later in the game. And that's how you build confidence. And I think that's what we had in our championship teams. You know, I obviously wasn't here for, for 2010, but in 2012 and 2014, if Romo was down, the next guys, would everyone would slide up in the role. If, if Casillo was down in 14, everybody would slide up in, in, in the role. And that's how you create confidence. That's how you get guys who know 
what they're expected to do, and they pay attention. And I think our bullpens were such well-oiled machines because it was set up in a way where everyone knew their role, everyone knew that they had to pick up the next guy, however, however it went, whether a guy was down or whether a guy didn't have a great outing and left guys on base, you'd come in and you'd, and you'd, you'd strand the runs. And that's how you create confidence within your teammates and in your, from your manager and your pitching coach to put you in the game. And I think that's what some of the guys that are in the maybe fifth, sixth, seventh slots in, in our bullpen right now for the Giants need to start doing. We'll have more with former Giants reliever George Contos right after this. When it's time for new tires, you want the lowest prices and the best service, don't you? Well, Kane's Tire in San Rafael has you covered on both. Kane's has the lowest prices in Marin County, and they provide the warm and welcoming service that you can only receive from a family-run business. Voted Best of Marin for 35 years in a row, Kane's prices beat Costco's prices every time. Kane's Tire, 1531 4th Street in San Rafael. Give him a call at 415 415- 453-2942. That's 415-453-2942 for Kane's Tire. Everybody's talking about Buster Posey and the great start that he's had uh, Monday's 0 for 5, notwithstanding. But, I mean, he's been terrific. He changes stance a little bit. He's more upright. Uh, he's crushing high fastballs. The first question is, how do you pitch him right now? If you're on the other side of it, uh, you know, they figured it out a little bit on Monday, but for the most part, he's been hitting everything all over the place. Well, this isn't really surprising. This is this is what – I think I jinxed Buster, by the way, because I chose him as my pick to click before the game, and then he went 0 for 5 with a strikeout. So, <laughs> sorry, Buster. But, um, you know, Buster's always been a guy who, who hits the ball where it's pitched, but he can do it with power because he has a lot of power. He's a strong guy. He's got these big, strong legs. And he hits the ball where the pitcher offers it. And in, in order for me, for if I, I mean, I, I remember I was going over scouting reports when I was with Pittsburgh when the Giants came to town. You know, if I had to face Buster, it wasn't going to be pitching necessarily to my strength every pitch. I was going to have to mix it up because you can't stay in the same location. Otherwise, he'll get you. You can't just keep challenging him with fastballs because he'll get you. You have to really do a good job of locating pitches in all four quadrants, up and down, in and out. Because Buster's just that kind of hitter, and that's the kind of uh, respect that he deserves from the opposing pitchers. I might be in the minority here. I think it seems to me like most people agree with what Gabe Kapler is doing as far as uh, playing time with Buster. Even Buster has said, you know, it's working, we're winning. But I actually think he should be in the lineup more. I I miss him going over to first base where it was a semi-off day from being uh, behind the plate, and you still get his bat in the lineup. I mean, he doesn't have enough plate appearances to qualify right now to be the league leader as far as batting average. And I just think, hey, he's not bad over at first. Some people disagree with me on that. I think he's fine over at first base. Why not get him more at bats? What do you think? I'm in agreement with you. I, I always loved seeing him over there uh, at first base when, when Brandon Belt had an off day and and whoever it was, the backup catcher at the time, uh, catching. I, I think his bat, when it's when which when it's as good as it is, you have to have it in the lineup as often as possible. You know, but Buster is getting he's getting a little older at the most demanding position in baseball. So I, I definitely understand. And if he's come out and said, "Hey, you know, it's working. I feel great. I'm rested," I, I wouldn't change it. Selfishly, I would love to see his bat in the lineup more often because, like you said. He would be leading. The, excuse me. He would be leading the National League in hitting had he been qualified in the at bats. But he had the, uh, the little injury uh, hit by pitch in Miami, where they gave him a couple of days off, and it cost him a couple at bats. But 
Um, I, I think that he's, he's feeling good. He and Cap and the coaches and Wotus and everybody have been talking about what makes the most sense for the team and what makes the most sense for him. And uh, he's in a good spot, and I wouldn't mess with it right now. And, of course, a topic of conversation in the coming years will be his Hall of Fame resume. And, you know, I, I thought he needed to add to it as far as statistics. But listen to this. This is Joel Sherman, who is a national baseball writer and works for MLB Network. Here's what he said the other day about Buster Posey and his Hall of Fame candidacy. To me, Posey, for the first five, six years of his career, that's kind of a Derek Jeter career, right? Right, it's, he's, right. he's a central, emotional, successful player on multiple championships. He's the best player. Yeah, he's he the best player. Multiple yeah. championships. <laughs> I do think it's what's lost with analytics a little bit, which is the goal isn't to produce great numbers. It's to win with the right. great numbers. Right. You know, Kirby Puckett played 10 years. He was the best player on two champions. Posey, the best player on three championship teams. The value of that is spectacular. Like, like he was a great player. Well, that really said a lot right there from a national writer and an MLB Network guy. I, I loved hearing that because, you know, that makes me think his candidacy uh, is being thought of in a more positive way than maybe it was. And, you know, this season, of course, if he keeps this going, it's really going to jack it up. Well, it's, first of all, it's great to hear other people share the same sentiment that I think we here in the Bay do. And, you know, I think being on the West Coast, we get a little bit, you know, overlooked in the media uh, markets with, with, you know, Buster maybe not getting as much credibility or exposure as he probably deserves because everyone's focused on New York and, and what ha- what's happening on the East Coast and in, in the Central. And, and sometimes when uh, the, the viewers are are – asleep and we're we were playing our games you just you just missed out on watching buster so i think a little bit of his uh his um his talent went went uh, has gone unnoticed but it's great to hear what joel sherman just said there because he's echoing what i think we all think buster's checked off all the boxes world series wins mvps uh comeback player of the years rookie of the years catching perfect games and no hitters um, and he's a winner, and he's a and he's a leader, and I think he checks off all the boxes. And as long as he can continue to do what he's doing, and just continue padding the numbers and adding to them, and and if if you asked him, he would tell you that all he wants to do is win, which he definitely means it. But I I definitely think it would be unbelievably special for him to 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 put that accolade on the wall as well. Absolutely, that'd be great. You know, you're you make a good point about you know flying under the radar really uh, in, on the West Coast, especially San Francisco versus the Dodgers, who were you know picked to be a great team again. They won the World Series last year. Uh, is it better for this team maybe to fly under the radar? I mean, still, I don't think the national media has recognized this team yet. I, maybe they look at the schedule too because you, you look at 25 games against the Rockies. Pirates, Mariners, Marlins, and Rangers. So they haven't hit the meat of their schedule yet. They haven't played the Dodgers yet. That changes this weekend, and I think people will start to recognize this team if they do well against the Dodgers. Well, the Giants have some some uh, some thump coming in because they play the they play the Dodgers three times in the next I think two and a half weeks. So I think we'll, we will learn a lot in that time span. And uh, I think everyone everyone's looking forward to. It. I think these guys are licking their chops. They're they're waiting for these guys to come in so so they can start getting the uh, notoriety and respect that they deserve. But you know, from the Instagram accounts and from the power rankings, I think they're starting to get that respect. They were ranked in the top five last week. They dropped to six this week. So they're they're definitely uh, opening some eyes. And if they continue to to do what they're doing against the power teams like the Dodgers and the Padres and and uh, 
you know, whoever else they play that is supposed to make some noise, I think it's only going to help them uh, with their confidence and in the national um, opinion of the beat writers and the people that make these power rankings. You know who's injecting a lot of life in this team right now, in my opinion? Mauricio Dubon. I mean, he, he's now looking for spots to hit for power instead of trying to jack it out on every swing. I think that's one reason. And the other thing is, I think maybe his defense is leading to better offense because he's making all kinds of plays in the field. I mean, this kid is dynamic. The, the one area I think he has to improve is base running. He's made some mistakes on the bases, but uh, he is really starting to grow, and, and it's helping out this team big time. I think confidence carries over. I mean, if you made, he made an unbelievable play in the first inning yesterday, and you know, when, when, when you get uh, all the, all the uh, high fives and, and, you know, fist bumps from your teammates, that, that, that all builds the confidence. And it makes you go out there and believe that you can make plays that are, that are really good. And then it, and then it uh, carries over in, into, the, into his at-bats and him at the plate. I was, it was really nice to see, and he even told us in his post-game uh, interview when we had him the other day, that he was trying to keep it more simple, trying to hit the ball where it's pitched, not do too much. And it's nice to see that he's finally starting to realize what type of player he is. And yesterday, hit that home run, 3-2 count, sold out on it, got the fastball, got the fastball mistake, and did exactly what he was supposed to do with it. He hit it hard, and he drove it out of the ballpark. That is the time to pick and choose to guess. Because if you strike out there, you know what? You put a competitive at-bat in there, you took it to 3-2, and you were fooled, or you sold out, and you didn't get the pitch. But he got the pitch, he got the mistake, and he did exactly what he was supposed to do with it. So he's definitely made some strides in, in my mind, and, and I think it all stems from just confidence and trying to just do the little things well. Yeah, hopefully he can uh, keep that going. And, you know, speaking of that play that he made, uh, that was a bullet hit to second base. I mean, it was kind of like he had to make a reaction like a third baseman on that play. And it makes you realize, George, how fast the game is, even at second base. Uh, you know, you're not at the hot corner or anything like that. Things happen quickly, and I'm I'm thinking this morning about Kevin Pillar of the New York Mets. He was hit by a pitch from Jacob Webb of the Atlanta Braves. He had no chance to get out of the way. He suffered multiple nasal nasal fractures. The former Giant. Uh, this guy's a gamer. We're rooting for him to pull out of this. That that was a very scary moment. It was a very scary moment. I, you know, guys are throwing harder and harder, and, and um, I think command and obviously nobody means to do these things when you're doing this we saw Bryce Harper get hit you know a couple weeks back and now Kevin Pillar and guys are throwing harder and harder and I think command is is gotten just not quite as good as it was with guys throwing so hard and the reaction time is is severely limited um you know it's a scary moment and you know guys are trying to hit the ball and, and 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 help their team wins and get their hits and stuff. But it, it's a scary moment. All you can, all you can do is, you know, hope the guy's okay. And I, and I, I know he sent out a tweet saying he was okay. So it's great to see, but it's part of the game. And, and all you can do is hold your breath until you get good word that there's nothing seriously wrong, which thankfully there wasn't. Yeah. I mean, we, we really liked him with the giants. And by the way, have you ever released a pitch knowing it's going to hit the batter after it leaves your hand and had that feeling of, oh, man, I just don't want him to get hurt or get hit in the head or in the face in this case. I mean, he was bleeding all over the place. Jacob Webb, he was reacting to it, you know, just in a really sad way where you wonder how that's going to affect him going forward mentally. It is, you know, it is tough. I, you can't – he didn't mean to do it. That, that, the react, his reaction said it all. It was a mistake. It got away from him. Uh, what you have to do is get back on the, on the horse. And 
I think in my career, I've only released one pitch knowing it was going to hit somebody and it was going to hit somebody on purpose. <laughs> um, but uh, other than that, I think I've been lucky where, where you know, I, I always stayed around the strike zone. And if I clipped somebody, it was, you know, in the in the knee or in the leg or, or on the elbow guard. It was never abruptly by their face or by, um, you know, by, by anywhere where it would be that severe, um, thankfully. Uh, but it, it, it is scary. And what you have to do is you have to, you know, put it behind you. You didn't mean to do it. It was a mistake. I think throwing inside to right-handed batters could be a little bit of a mental block for him for a few outings until he has that confidence again, moving forward. Cause you don't want to hurt somebody. And now you realize that you have the power to hurt somebody because that happened. Uh, but I think ultimately he'll be fine. You got to put one foot in front of the other and you got to go out there and continue to compete and, and execute pitches. Hitting somebody intentionally, that's not easy either, right? I mean, you, you might be told to do that by the uh, manager or the pitching coach, or maybe you do it on your own, but but that's also not an easy thing to do, right? Uh, you know, I think it, for some people, I've heard that it, it is not an easy thing to do. I think other times you just pick your target, you throw it, and, and it usually <laughs> ends up going in that right in that general vicinity and uh, ricochets off of the, the person you know in the batter's box and hopefully a uh, – a safe spot. You never want to intentionally throw a guy's heads like they used to do in the old days, especially with the velocity that guys are throwing today. But, you know, I, I'm always, I've always been more of an old school um, lover of the game. That's how I grew up uh, in the game was the old school mentality. And, you know, sometimes you have to brush somebody back or you got to hit somebody in the, in the low back to make a point. It's just part of the game. All right, George. Hey, thanks a lot. Really appreciate it this morning. And I'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. And by that time, we'll be through the month of May. And if the Giants are still in first place, this thing starts to get serious. Absolutely. I think it's starting to get serious right now. They're tied for the best record, uh, best 41-game start or 42-game start in in, uh, franchise history, I want to say, right? Isn't that what the the stat was yesterday? So I I think think it's starting to be serious right now. And if they can get through the next two weeks, like, like, like you said, and like we talked about with the Dodgers series coming up, I think you have, uh, you have a lot more believers. All right, George, thanks a lot, and uh, have a great week. Thanks a lot, Joe. That's former Giants relief pitcher George Contos. Join us again next week for another edition of Inside China Basin. For now, I'm Joe Castellano. Thanks for listening on the Believe Podcast Network. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.